Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn today to Acts chapter 2. In verse 4, it says, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Um, this, this issue of speaking in tongues, and we're going to talk more about these, you know, these tongues that they were speaking in here on the day of Pentecost. You know, tongues are kind of a, kind of a contentious issue today, and there are some people that believe that they ought to speak in tongues. In fact, there's some people that believe that if you've never spoken in tongues, that you're not really saved. Uh, here, of course, on the day of Pentecost, the, the sign there of being filled with the Holy Ghost was that they spoke in tongues, and we'll see through the, the book of Acts uh, how that, that, that uh, filling of the Holy Ghost was, was signified by speaking in tongues. Remember that uh, when we looked at the, the commission that Christ gave to the disciples before his ascension, when we looked at, at the commission as it's recorded over there in Mark, uh, there it said, it listed uh, tongues as one of the signs that would follow those that believe, right? Now here on the, on the day of Pentecost, verse 6 says, I'm sorry, verse 5 says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now, remember that this is a feast day, this is a Jewish feast day, and it was one of the days where Jewish men from all over the world were supposed to come to Jerusalem. And so you have these these uh, Jews, it calls them devout men, and when it says they were out of every nation under heaven, uh, just like today, the, the you know Jewish people don't all live in Israel, uh, they live all over the world. And so they would come from all of these different nations there to, to uh, Jerusalem for the feast day. And verse 6 says, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying to one another, What meaneth this? Now, you see how it, it lists all these different countries that they had come from. And like today, those Jewish people that live all over the world don't necessarily speak Hebrew. They speak all the different languages of the world. And, and even in that day, it was the case. These Jews that had come from all these different countries uh, didn't, didn't all speak Hebrew and didn't all speak Greek. They spoke all these different languages of the world. But as the disciples go out and they speak in these tongues... Um, they're able to hear them in their own language and realize that throughout the Bible, speaking in tongues is, is always for that purpose. Um, if, 
if somebody can't understand what's being said, then it doesn't serve any purpose. And what a lot of people try and do today in what they call speaking in tongues is they just kind of make sounds that nobody really knows what they mean. But you notice here it was languages. And the disciples here go out and, and are speaking. Now, they're not intending to speak different languages. They haven't studied these different languages. But through a, a miraculous work of God, they go out and they begin to preach. And what comes out is not Hebrew or Greek, but what comes out is all these other languages of the world. Um, some people, when they, when they read this passage, they, I, I think, kind of kind of uh, get a mistaken impression about what was going on there. Some people have said that the miracle there was not uh, that they were speaking in tongues, but that the, the, the multitude heard in their own language. But realize what's going on there is you've got these, these you know, this uh, number of disciples that are going out, and it's not that one man speaks and everybody hears in his own language, it's that you've got one disciple speaking one, la- one language and one speaking a di- another one and another one speaking another one, and so everybody there is able to find one of those disciples that's speaking their language or a language that they can understand. And the, the speaking in tongues here... Um, we're going to we're going to probably spend a couple of weeks on this on this topic, but I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, again, we saw in Mark how the speaking in tongues was going to be one of the signs that would follow those that believe under that under that commission that Christ gives them before his ascension. And speaking in tongues uh, carried over as well into the early body of Christ. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as the Apostle Paul talks about the, the uh, gifts and the different, you know, the different gifts that are exercised within the body of Christ, you see in verse 4, he says, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But, verse 7 says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, what we want to know in our, in our study today is our tongues for today. Uh, is this something we ought to be doing today? Is it the evidence of, of salvation? Is it the evidence of the Holy Spirit? Here the Apostle Paul, as he lists these things uh, that, that God was doing among the body of Christ, he lists both the, uh, the diverse kinds of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. But understand that when you're in the book of 1 Corinthians, you're still in that Acts period where there was a transition taking place. All right? And when, when you're going to rightly divide the scripture, realize that as well, even when it comes to, to Paul's epistles, you have to understand when something is being written, what are the circumstances while it's, it's being written. And, but you see there, at least in the early body of Christ, from this verse, we can tell at least there at the time when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, which is kind of toward the, toward the end of the book of Acts, chronologically, uh, you see that the uh, speaking of, uh, in tongues was something that was practiced 
among the body of Christ. Um, if you skip down to, to uh, the end of chapter 12, verse, uh, start in verse 27, it says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular, and God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Now, in verse 28, you notice that there is a, you could say, a, a hierarchy or an order to these gifts. And you see where tongues falls in the list. It's the very last. It's the, it's the last in those list of gifts. Uh, you see who it lists first, apostles, prophets, teachers, right? Then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. It's, it's interesting how many churches that will, will emphasize these gifts of the Spirit almost in many ways turn that upside down. You know, they make tongues in some cases to be the sign of salvation and say that's necessary even to be saved. Um, they put all of the emphasis not on things like teaching and, and those kinds of things, but they put the emphasis on the tongues, the miracles, and, and those kinds of things. But that's not the order you see in Scripture. Right? The order you see here is that those, what would be considered miraculous gifts, are listed last. Now, this is even when these things were being practiced. You see that they're listed last, and tongues is listed very last. It's listed last of all. Verse 29 says, Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Now, that verse alone ought to put to rest this idea that if somebody has not spoken in tongues, that they're not saved. You see, as it lists the, the gifts there, when he asks all of those questions, the, the, you know, the whole point of the entire passage was that there are these various things that go on within the body of Christ, but different, God does different things with different members, and all the members don't do the same things. So when he asks... Are all apostles? The obvious answer is no, not all are apostles. Are all prophets? No, not all are prophets. Are all teachers? No, not all are teachers. And when you come down to, to tongues, have all the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues? The answer is no. So even here, where, where clearly these things were practiced, not every believer spoke in tongues. Okay? So already what, what we'll see as we go down through uh, these passages that deal with this matter of speaking in tongues is what we see is that uh, uh, how tongues are being practiced today among people that believe that they are for today, they aren't practicing them according to Scripture, and we'll see as well that uh, they are something that, were, that was going to pass away. In fact, if you look at verse 31 there of chapter 12, you see what it says. It says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Now, tongues is listed last. That would be, I mean, if, if Paul's using the word here, best, uh, that would mean there would be some gifts that are not the best, that are the worst. And tongues is listed as the worst, right? It's listed last. Uh, the best gifts, again, would be those, you know, apostle, prophet, teacher, uh, those, those things at the top of the list. He says, covet earnestly the best gifts, but then notice what he says at the end of verse 31. And yet, show I unto you a more excellent way. That there's a more excellent way than these gifts at all. 
right? He says, covet the best gifts. You know, don't, don't put all the emphasis on the lesser gifts. Covet the best gifts. But, Paul says, I'm going to show you something that's even better. And in, in chapter 13, um, the, the first few verses there, many people are very familiar with. He describes charity, which is that agape love. Uh, you can see the, the description that he gives there. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I'm become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You see, he describes their charity, and charity is that more excellent way. He says, covet the best gifts, but I'm going to show you something better than the gifts, which is this charity that he describes here. And notice verse 8 now. It says, charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, what's, what's he talking about here? Didn't he just tell us that those are, are things, you know, gifts that are given within the body of Christ? Didn't he just tell us that there are some people that are going to speak in tongues, some that are going to prophesy? What does he mean when he says that whether there be prophecies, they shall fail? Uh, you know, the, the test of a prophet in the Old Testament was if a prophet said something was going to happen and it didn't come to pass, he was a false prophet and he was to be put to death. Right? What does he mean when he says prophecies shall fail? Does he mean that, that God is going to give somebody a word of prophecy and then it's not going to come to pass? Certainly that's not the case. But rather he's talking about the failure of the gift of prophecy. That there was going to come a time, even though, as Paul writes this to the Corinthians, there were people who had the gift of prophecy and people who were, were prophesying from the Lord, there was going to come a time where that gift was not going to operate anymore. And prophecies were going to fail. Not that, not that the prophets would be false prophets, but that the gift itself would fail. He says, whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And likewise, the issue is that the gift of tongues was going to cease to operate. And he says, whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Now, he's not saying everybody's going to stop knowing everything. Some days it seems like that with the people you have to deal with. It seems like knowledge has vanished away. But uh, that's not what he's saying. He's, again, there was a gift called the, the word of knowledge. There was a gift of knowledge. And that gift was going to cease to operate. It was going to vanish away. Right? So Paul's describing a change here that's going to take place. In fact, it was a transition that was already taking place as Paul was, was writing this epistle to the Corinthians. Now, a lot of this is also a rebuke to the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians are portrayed in Scripture as being the most carnal and the least mature Christians of, of any of the church epistles that Paul writes to, you know, the churches that he writes to. Uh, they are, he calls them right out in several places. He says that they are carnal, they're fleshly. Uh, they're not focusing on the things of the Lord, they're focusing on these fleshly things. And as a part of that, the Corinthians were putting 
the focus on these kinds of gifts that were very visible, the, you know, the, the tongues, the miraculous type things. And instead of, instead of uh, putting that emphasis on the better gifts, the best gifts, they were emphasizing the least gifts because they were showy and they were satisfying to the flesh. Right? So speaking in tongues, at least in, in uh, these churches that Paul writes to, was not a sign of maturity. It certainly was not a sign of salvation and was not even a sign of maturity. It was, in many cases, a sign of immaturity. Because as Paul is writing this to the Corinthians, those things were already starting to vanish away. And so he tells them here, there's going to come a time where that's going to go away altogether. You guys better start thinking about some different things, putting your focus in a different place, because these things aren't going to continue on forever. Uh, what What he says in verse 9, he says, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, if you, if you read that over a couple times, you'll see that Paul is likening these gifts of prophecy and of tongues and of knowledge to childish things. And he's saying just like physically when you, you, know, you come to maturity, physically and mentally, you put away childish things, you don't do the things you did as a child, he's telling that a time's going to come when the body of Christ is going to come to maturity and it's going to put away those childish things of tongues and prophecy and, and these gifts. Uh, he, he connects that maturity with knowledge. You see, he says, we know in part and we prophesy in part. Remember where, you know, where these believers are at as far as the, the flow of events here. Remember that they don't have a completed Bible like you and I have. At the time that Paul writes 1 Corinthians, maybe, you know, maybe uh, five or six books of the New Testament have been written by that point. Um, as he's writing this, they don't have, they have all the Old Testament, of course, but none of the New Testament. And so it, when the church would come together and somebody was going to, to preach or whatever, they didn't have a completed New Testament to be able to go to and prepare a message out of and, and teach the Word of God. And so God, during that period of time, while the Word of God is being completed, while they knew in part, God was filling in the part they didn't know through gifts of prophecy and and other things. Now, tongues would not be necessarily a revelatory gift like that, but prophecy certainly would, and the word of knowledge certainly would, and it groups them all together, okay? And so, so you see, he says, we know in part and we prophesy in part, but he says, when that which is perfect is come. Now, the word perfect is used there in contrast to the, to the words in part, Right, Something that's perfect is complete, it's whole. And again, many people when they read that, um, they, they say, okay, when that which is perfect is come, well, the Lord Jesus Christ is perfect, so that must be talking about the return of Christ. Right, And these things will continue until the return of Christ. But first of all, it doesn't say when he who is perfect... Right? It, it's not talking about a person there. It's talking about a thing when that which is perfect, and, keep, and the word perfect in the Bible just means complete. All right? that's, what, that's what perfect means. It means complete. Uh, just like he says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, 
when that which is perfect, well, what which is perfect? I mean, that is used there to, to talk about something. The context is knowledge, right? We know in part, but when that, that knowledge, which is perfect, is come, that which is in part, the things that are, are there to kind of fill in that gap, because you don't have the completed revelation of the word of God, uh, those things will be done away. Right? So, so what he's telling you here is he's telling you, first of all, that these gifts, especially prophecy and tongues and, and the word of knowledge, are going to vanish away, and that that's going to happen in connection with the word of God being complete and perfect knowledge being imparted. Now, when he talks about perfect knowledge here, he's not, he's not talking in the subjective sense. He's not talking about the, you know, the members of the body of Christ completely understanding everything in the Bible, all right? But he's talking about that knowledge being available and being given from God. Uh, remember, the people he's writing to here, it's not just that they don't understand what's been given. In some cases, that was true, but it hadn't all been given yet. They, they didn't have most of the New Testament. And so the Apostle Paul here, in telling them to seek this more excellent way of charity, is because charity is never going to fail. There's never going to be a time where charity is not the way for the body of Christ to operate, but these other things are going to pass away, right? So he's telling them, you, you better start thinking about the right things and start preparing for this time when these things are going to go away. And he says in verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three. But the greatest of these is charity. And when he says uh, there, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Uh, Again, he's not talking about seeing the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, but rather, if you compare this with over in 2 Corinthians, the second letter he writes to them, he talks about beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord and how we're changed into the same image from glory to glory. What's he talking about beholding face to face? He's talking about when you come to the Word of God and you behold the Lord Jesus Christ there in the Word of God, you're beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, and and that word works on you and changes you into that same image. Okay, So he's not talking about standing in the presence of Christ, but he's again talking about the completion of the word of God. And so you see verse 13, he says, Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These other things are passing away. Prophecy, tongues, supernatural knowledge, they're passing away, but what abides is faith, and hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Kind of gives that passage a, a, a little bit more significance. You know, this First uh, Corinthians 13 is quoted at weddings and, and that kind of thing, and certainly it's appropriate. It talks about charity or love. But you see there's much more going on in that passage than just giving you a definition of love. It tells you what love is, what charity is, but it tells you that's what's going to continue and there's going to be some other things that are going to pass away. There's a statement that Paul makes where he says that he would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And uh, a, a friend of mine says he thinks that those five words that Paul would rather speak would be that Christ died for our sins. You know, especially when it comes to, to preaching the gospel. Uh, when Paul talks about using words that are clear to be understood, easy to be understood, 
uh, to make the Word of God plain. And, and if there's anything that the Word of God makes plain, it's that when it comes to salvation, salvation certainly isn't something you earn by your works. It's not something that, that you have to worry about because you haven't spoken in tongues or something like that. But rather that salvation is a free gift of God uh, offered by God's grace because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. And you know, when the Lord Jesus Christ died there at, at Calvary, uh, he died to pay the price for sinners, to pay the price for sins so that eternal life could be offered as a free gift. So many of these other things, speaking in tongues and other religious practices, what they serve to do is they take the focus off of the cross. See, what they do is they, they serve to confuse the issue of the gospel, which is that Christ did all the work and we, there's a free gift that we can receive by faith. Religion and, and these kinds of religious practices, they confuse people and lead people away from the truth rather than making it plain and easy to be understood. And, and the reality is, uh, as much as we may hate to admit it, that all of us are sinners. We are sinners who are incapable of being other, anything other than sinners. We can't change ourselves. We can't, you know, we may be able to make make small improvements in our actions, but it doesn't change the fact that we are sinners who fall completely short of the glory of God. And God in love sent his son to die, not for righteous people, not for religious people, but for sinners. And the scripture says that to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Uh, it doesn't say to the one who works a little bit or works as hard as they can, but to the one who works not, to him who worketh not, but believes, faith is counted for righteousness. The scripture says that there is none righteous, no, not one. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that describes us. We're not righteous. We don't have that standard of perfection that only God possesses. We fall short of it, and, and we can't change that. But God has provided a way for us to receive a free gift of eternal life by his grace. Um, it, it can be hard to overcome that pride that says, no, I can do it if I just try harder. I can do it. Or, or that says, uh, well, look, I've done all of these things for God. How can that not be enough? But that's what the scripture says. And there's no work that God accepts except the work of Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, had no sins of his own to pay for. He, Jesus Christ was not a sinner. He was God in human flesh. He was perfect and without spot. And when he died on the cross of Calvary, it was in the plan of God that his death would be a payment for us. It would pay what we owed to God because of our sins. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. And that's what we owed and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ paid on our behalf. But, it, but the rest of that verse says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And eternal life is not something you could earn. Even if you tried your hardest, you wouldn't do enough to earn it. But rather, it's a gift. And a gift isn't something you earn. A gift is something you receive. A gift is something, something that somebody else pays for, something that somebody else earns, and they give it to you, and you receive it. And that's the way eternal life is. And if you've never received that gift of eternal life, if, if you sit here today and you don't know if you were to die, whether you would go to heaven or hell, or, or maybe you do know and you know you wouldn't go to heaven. Uh, th what the scripture says is there's a free gift of eternal life that's been purchased for you. And it says to believe. 
That's what the scripture commands, not to work, not to be more religious, not to, not to you know, work harder at overcoming your bad habits, but rather to believe what the Lord Jesus Christ did and to believe that that was the complete and final payment for sin. It says that God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And when you accept that free gift of eternal life, God views you as perfectly righteous. Not, you know, not as, as that uh, sinner who falls short anymore, but that faith is counted for righteousness. And you don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to repeat a, a prayer this morning. Those things don't save you. Uh, but you know in your heart whether you've received that gift or not, and, and you know whether you, know, whether you choose to, to uh, believe on Christ and receive that gift this morning. And we're just going to close there with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that gift of eternal life. We thank you for your Son who died for us and rose again with complete victory over death and the grave. And I pray that if there are any here who have not received that free gift of eternal life, that they would make that decision today. Uh, to accept him, to, to uh, receive the free gift that your son purchased for us. We thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.